I uh, support um, behind you. It is one of those words that um, I guess it's, it contains within itself um, the answer to the problem um, in that if you understand the fear of the Lord, then you'll rightly receive this message. Uh, and if you don't, it will hopefully um, sink in enough uh, to be able to grasp it. But it's really something that's um, particularly Nightwatch hearing the testimonies last week of how many, how much this theme was kind of coming through and, and a big part of uh, God's preparation for the next thing that he's doing and, uh, and that real sense. Does anyone have a sense of anticipation of God uh, releasing something significant here? Uh, and I, we can say that, oh yes, you know, God's going to, but you know, we all believe that he is going to do something significant, but sometimes you feel the, uh, the peaking of the wave, uh, you know, ab- about to crash and so... Our responsibility is always to prepare ourselves for what the Lord is doing, um, to, to, be, to be ready. And, uh, and I think this is another um, kind of piece in that puzzle of preparation. Praise the Lord. Alliterating. So, yeah, so just going to pray. So, why don't you stretch out your hand? We're just going to cover Rachel in prayer. Father God, we thank you for. That you give us the opportunity to be a mouthpiece, Father, the privilege, uh, but also the fear that comes along with that, Lord. Uh, and, uh, and Father, we just thank you that, uh, that this is your word, Lord. It's coming right out of the scriptures, God. This is something that we're just uh, putting out there that Rachel's just delivering uh, to us, Father. Lord, we want to hear the word of the Lord this morning. We want to hear your voice, Holy Spirit. And in, in whatever way we can prepare our hearts, we, we, we choose that, Lord, and we ask Holy Spirit, prepare our hearts to receive your word this morning, God, the word of the Lord for, for us individually, the word of the Lord over this community, God. We say yes to you, Lord. We say yes to you, Jesus. If it causes us pain for a greater measure of intimacy and connection and glory, we say yes, Lord. If it makes us uncomfortable, if it confronts every part of us, Lord, that is um, not willing yet to yield and die, we say bring out the sword, Holy Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, which is your word, which is what you are speaking out, God. And we say pierce us, Lord. Pierce us to the depths, Lord, and you do it so beautifully and so kindly, and it's for our good and for your glory. So we say yes, Lord. And we stand with Rachel, we stand behind her uh, in, uh, in this message that you've placed on our heart. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Good morning. Are we ready? We can do this. I'm, I feel really vulnerable about this word. If I'm teary, I'm sorry. Um, I'm just in repentance. It's a good place to be. I love that I can repent, <laughs> so I feel powerful in that. But um, it's a good feeling. It's just vulnerable, you know? And you're like, hey, everybody, here's my life on my sleeve. Um, it's a bit like that. Um, John Bevere has a quote. Um, it says, holy fear or reverence, which is what will go into that word fear a bit more, but... Holy fear or reverence is the key to God's sure foundation. Foundation, so stability. It's the key to God's sure foundation. Unlocking the treasuries of salvation, which is the heart journey, the fulfillment of our healing, wisdom and knowledge. 
Along with the love of God, it composes the very foundation of life. So in some ways, I'm chatting to you about the two-prong reality of how we're stable in the Lord. It's in His love and in the fear of the Lord this morning. And um, some of us have possibly met the Lord through a, a healthy element in a small way of the fear of the Lord, like we've realized, you're God, I'm man. Um, but sometimes along the journey, we become familiar. And the familiar can be almost because he comes so close to deal with all our other issues. <laughs> I found the heart journey has brought me into a familiar place with him in a good way. I've learned a friend, and I've learned a companion, and I've learned the lover. I've learned all these other qualities. But, but what I'll package this today is, and this is where it is, it's not that we're all idiots or that we're dumb, but I think some of the concepts that we do is that we do that maybe he's 50% like a friend, and then there's another 30% that is like father, so then there's 10% that's like healer, and then another 10% or 8% that's um, brother, and then we've got 2% we're like, and then Lord. And, and the way that God is, because he's God, is that he's 100% friend, he's 100% lover, and he's 100% brother, he's 100% father, and he's 100% Lord. And I feel what he's asking is not that one is more important than the other, but that, that we're okay with the 100% of Lord, as well as the other 100%. Is that okay? So that's what, where I feel to go is, is just to have that, that balance back. And I feel he's doing it out of mercy, not out of insecurity. And I'll go into that a bit clearer. Is that all right? Um, I'm hoping to reveal his desire, communicated through scripture, that we respect and honor him as Lord, with the end goal being that we're able to see his desire, understand his heart better, and sift our own hearts asking, have we treated what God calls holy as common? And have we lived with an irreverent attitude towards the things of God? I want us to be able to sift those things because if there's irreverence, there's, that means there's no fear. All right, So it's just sifting fruit in our hearts, sifting our culture really, because most of the time we won't see it. So we're going to start sifting our culture a little bit and just say, actually, what's rooted in that? Why do I do that? And is this out of obedience, and is obedience important in the New Testament? Is that all right? Okay, right off the bat, I'm going to say things that are quite sharp at times. I don't intend to be sharp. I'm going to also constantly remind you of who he is. He's really good. He's really kind. He knows you through and through, and he's never left your side, as Andrew's saying. To, he's never left your side. This is not a God talking to you from a distance topic, okay? The Lordship of God isn't a God far away. The Lordship of God is the God who's never left your side, okay? Right off the bat, if we struggle to fear the Lord for whatever reason, if we feel as we go through this that we discover this isn't really functioning in my heart healthily, I'd like to suggest that we have chosen to serve him in an image we have made, What comes to mind from scripture when I think of, when we say, I'm serving a God in an image that we've made? What comes to mind? Who served a God in an image that they made? Israelites. Yes, the gold calf. Do you remember that they made a cow out of gold, all their jewelry, all the stuff that they had? Do you remember? Israel and the golden calf. It's a perfect example. It's in the Old Testament. 
It's a false understanding of the fear of God because the presence of God manifested on a mountain with lightning and thunder and crazy, I can't contain this, this is unexplainable, this is so much bigger than me. And only one, Moses said, I'll go into that. Which is what the true fear of God does, it draws you to him. Okay? The rest said, this is too scary, they were afraid. Afraid is not the fear of the Lord. Okay? It might cause you to fear and tremble, but it's like a, I'm coming into this feeling. Afraid is not the fear of the Lord. But for them, possibly, it was beyond their control and beyond their understanding, beyond their timing, beyond their trust. They didn't want to engage with it or be bound by it, bound by it. They've come from bondage. They've been out of bondage, and they don't want to go into their understanding of bondage. So then completely misunderstanding the character of God, the one who has come into their chaos and delivered them, parted seas, provided day and night, completely misunderstanding the character of God, forgetting all that he's done, they denied his reality and they built a golden calf. Now we could search the skies, this is Psalm 89 verse 6 to 7, we could search the skies forever and never find one like you. All the mighty angels could not be compared to you. You are a God who is greatly to be feared as you preside over the council of holy ones. You are surrounded by trembling ones who are overwhelmed with fear and dread, stunned as they stand in awe of you. That's the description of who God is, all right? Oh God, who is like you, the psalmist asks. To assume that a golden calf could be God is quite baffling. It's quite baffling, but for them, it made sense. There is no one like God, but this assumption that you could actually give glory to something that you've made out of everything that he'd already done for them to, to create something so that you feel safe. Bizarre, really, isn't it? After all that he's done for them, they created something so that they would feel safe. Because knowing him and giving over to him felt more unsafe than that. So what's dictated their worship? A need to feel safe. It was this assumption that something else could be like, like God, something else could be even like God, was made way earlier than the Israelites. It was made with Adam. Adam who actually thought that, that in the vanity of his mind, he actually thought that he could be like God. That was what the temptation was. If you have this, you will be like God. That was the goal. I could be like God. So he thought, well, if I eat from this tree that he's asked me not to, I'll become like him, and God doesn't want me to be like him, was the lie that Satan said. Weird, right? It sounds crazy, and yet that's a constant deception that we fall into. We make decisions so that we can be God for ourselves for the day. We can make that decision. And something in here is said because we'll know what to do better than he will. John 1 verse 10, the Passion Translation says, He entered into the very world he created, yet the world was unaware. He came to the very people he created, to those who should have recognized them, but they did not receive him. If we make Jesus into what we can manage, understand, abuse, ignore, 
basically into an image that we have made. If we make him purely human, we will miss truly knowing him and we can easily be deceived. And therefore, we won't recognize when he's coming, which he is. What we're actually doing is we're trying to make an incorruptible, so without fault, without sin, we're trying to make an incorruptible God into an image like corruptible man. Romans 1.23 says, For only a fool would trade the unfading splendor of the immortal God to worship the fading image of other humans, idols made to look like people, animals, birds, and even creeping reptiles. Only a fool. Don't take that personally. I'm in this bucket. (laughs) In Romans, we see it's not just about the one true God and his glorious nature in an image being reduced to a golden calf. We actually see that he's talking about that we we make it into the likeness of people. Modern day church is surrounded by culture that worships men. If it isn't someone else, it's definitely myself because I'm the safest person I know. True? True? So we don't often see it and we're blinded to it, but the fear of the Lord is actually something that we don't always step into because that would require us exposing where we feel safe, where we feel most known, and where we feel most understood. I love this quote from John Bevere. In the scriptures, the only people I see God calling his friends are those who tremble at his word and presence and are quick to obey no matter the cost. If we're going to look at the topic of lordship, then we're going to have to look at the topic of obedience because they go together. And I think that's where it can sometimes sting because obedience sort of feels like I have no choice. The humility of Jesus and all that he did was so that you could be, um, that you could approach the king of kings, but, he's, but the humility of what he did also was that he constantly still gave you choice. That's the one thing that he's constantly always given us from day one is choice. He's never, never taken away choice. But if we're understanding lordship, we are actually always choosing. It's just that we're not always choosing him. So something else is always sitting in lordship. Something else is always sitting in lordship. You can't go, I don't like obedience, and then assume that nothing else is ruling in your life. We're obedient to something. And he's saying, but you can choose me. I'm not going to override you. You can choose me. But if you don't choose me, you'll be choosing something else. Does that make sense? Basically, when we make God to be like man, we have filtered his word and commands through our own culturally influenced thinking, our wounds or our pride, our self-pity. They take the place of truth and they take the place of wonder. Our image of his glory is formed by our limited perceptions rather than by his true image as revealed through Jesus, which then sets us up to be quick to criticize, whether it's people or life, and make the judgment that everything else must be black and white for my self-protection, but my walk can be gray for my comfort. When we lack lordship, We have this demand on society around us that everything else must be black and white for my self-protection. But my life can be a bit gray for my comfort. Everything else must be black and white. That's where religion comes in. Black and white. Do it right. Get it better, otherwise I don't feel safe because it's dictated by people. And I can do it a bit gray because he loves me and he understands my heart and I'm tired today, but it's for my comfort and he cares about me. 
The lack of reverence also sets us up to eventually be offended with God, which is a process we can still talk through. It's not like, you know, you're going to burn because you have offense. It's something that you do a journey of inner healing with the Lord. But it sets you up to have offense with God because we're not getting what we want when we want it. We're not getting safety feelings when we want it. We're not hearing his voice in the moment that we need it. But we haven't agreed to be obedient to his lordship. It's actually narcissism at its root that can manifest into ghastly narcissism as it's older or it turns into this really pretty religion, whichever. But it's actually catering for what I need today. A lot of how we love, a lot of how we love caters for what I need today. We're still, we've talked about that felt need can really lead us. Felt need tells us how to love, and if I feel to love them, then I'll love them. All of that kind of concept, but subconsciously there's a lot of those places, and a lot of this place of lordship can be given up really early. That's where the prayer ministry is so great, because you're dealing with inner vows and shutdowns and denial that happen really young. So you're wondering why, because you've called on the Lord, and you lean into him so much, and you long for him to be near, and, and yet it still seems a bit vacant or lacking in authority, or it's area where you, you kind of give in into stuff all the time, it sometimes has to just be dealt with really early. Is that all right? It can even be generational. There's just things that this is, this is, this is foundational and it's a principle and so there's, it's almost like honor your father and your mother and it'll go well with you. Honor the Lord, it'll go well with you. you know? And so it's, it's, a, it's a principle and it's a fruit. So if we're not seeing the fruit, we need to go back and look, look where it's happening. So there's a lifestyle of it, but there's often sections in our lives. I know even for me where I've gone, oh, there was just nothing there. I shut that room off for him completely. So he wasn't Lord in there at all because I wasn't even letting myself in that room. Like it's gone, dead, bye. And so it's about opening those places for his lordship. Otherwise, we're asking him to minister and lead in those places now, but we've got the door locked. Okay? Ah. Are we okay? It's quite a, a fun topic. Okay, um, I want to touch on it now, and then we're going to go into this. When, when I, I went through, in my early 20s, I was in trauma. It was awful. I remember walking around like I was in a bubble, but my feet weren't touching the ground. So I, wasn't ev- I didn't even know how to live. Like, it was just pain. Um, it was real shut down for me. Everything was black. I started to see myself in third person, so I could watch myself walking down a pathway at university, and I'd hear myself, I'd hear a voice say to myself, wow, you're really alone. So I was almost disassociated. It was, it was really painful. Um, and um, I, it tipped me into panic, and I uh, obviously made poor choices, but it was uh, get me out of this this cage. I am in, I am trapped in pain. I can't get out. It was real panic. And in that moment, when you go in panic like that, you, and you don't feel the Lord's helping you in your cage, what happens is you get out through rebellion. It's the only way to get out of my circumstances, and he's not helping me in this, is to just shatter everything and go here. And so I stepped fully from religion, really, into rebellion. And in the place of rebellion, it's so funny because when you've been brought up to know that God is real, you can't really kind of disconnect yourself from that. You want to, but you feel trapped. I just got out of my trap, but I'm still trapped because he's real and I'm rebelling God. Like it's stupid and you know it, but you have all this bitterness from years still dictating your every move. And so I remember the morning that I woke up, I had gone into a kind of chronic fatigue. Isn't that funny? And so, um, fruit. (laughs) And so, uh, but I woke up one morning and I woke up and I heard the Lord say to me, um, and I didn't hear the Lord back then because, of course, bitterness shuts all that stuff down. And so I heard the Lord go, I woke you today. 
really gently. Uh, I kid you not, the fear of the Lord started to resuscitate my heart in that moment. It was just like a And I was so angry and bitter and telling him, you suck, and all that immature thinking. And then he just said, I woke you today. And it was this realization that he ordains my very breath. He says, if I'm going to wake, and he will, whether we like it or not, say when I will die. It's all in him. He holds the universe. He holds it all together in his hands. And it was this revelation that, oh, you're God. I'm man. Before then, I was talking to him like my equal. Because I know it all, and you're not doing it my way, and this has hurt me. This, this has hurt me was very true. But I was talking to him like he was merely man. And he just breathed over me one sentence, and something in me went, I might be wrong. And I know that sounds stupid, but when you're locked in bitterness and rebellion, to have something click that goes, I might be wrong, is like life-shattering. You feel the ground underneath you shake, and you're like, I don't even know what I'm doing. It really altered my walk from then on, and I still lived with so much sinful behavior, so much pain, so much bitterness, but I started to be able to hear him, just from the fear of the Lord. I had a few visions that were really clear that helped me know and then helped me move here, and uh, from when I moved here, I started to meet the Lord as a healer. I literally would wake up in the morning, and he would come with his hand under my chin and feed me. I've never known God to come that close. And if you are in deep pain or in crisis, you will have started to recognize how close he comes. He comes really close. He comes really close. He's a really good friend. He's a 100% friend and he's a 100% healer. And there was this place where he didn't just win me from knowing that he's God. He won me from knowing who he is. There was, he won me in relationship. He won me there. But I always knew as well that he was God. But as you do the journey of healing, and I just say this to us because we all do it together so faithfully, as we do this journey of healing where he comes super close, that place where he comes in with such grace can't last forever unless the fear of the Lord is in balance with that. Because what comes to revelation as we get a bit more well and we're surviving, and oh my gosh, we're almost even thriving, and we're like, do I even need God? I need desperation to make me meet with him, and all that kind of debate comes in, and it did for me. I was like, wow, this is weird, and I understand the point where you just gasp because you're finally on dry land. I get it, and you're just like, oh my gosh, I made it out of that ocean. I can't believe it, but the reality is, is that it's not as close anymore, and that's dissatisfying. And that's his kindness. Because it reveals that the whole time you were longing for him, you were longing because you didn't want to be in pain. You weren't longing because he's God. We have to be very careful that if we come in, especially for a healing journey with the Lord, that we are always aware that we're not just coming to him to get away from pain. We're coming to him rightly because he's God. He's God. And the relationship can only grow and manifest in ways you can never dream of if we come into agreement with, I'm looking for you because you're God, not because I need you today, or I'm lonely, or I'm hurting. Do you understand?
So even though I met him, as in the breakthrough started to happen with the fear of the Lord triggering it, I've had to re-trigger that. And even today in the prayer room, repent all over again because it's such an easy thing to to become familiar with every other 100% about him that is so wonderful and just kind of choose how you want to live your day. But the Lordship 100% is just as important as the healer 100% and the best friend 100%. And there's a way that we respond to Lordship because it's Lordship and it's real whether we like it or not. It's how we're designed. There's a way we respond to Lordship that's on our end. And Jesus doesn't cover that. Okay, we're going to go into that. Jesus doesn't cover our response. All right, I want to take a moment because I feel like when we say because he's God, people are like, yes, because it's a familiar word. So let's just look at the greatness of God for a second. Anyone like running? Anyone like science? I failed science. We're going to do both. So all you lovers of running and science in this room that I was just like, wow, all those hands went up. We're going to enjoy it together. All right. I used to be a middle distance runner and then I had Toby, but uh, Hannah has, you know, bribed me back into running with her, which is great. And I mean like 5K run, so all you triathlon and marathon people, chill. Um, Okay, but let's just think running. Just think running. For some of us, walking is even hard, but hear me out. Three kilometer run, all right? 12 kilometer run or a marathon. Cycling 30 or 50 kilometers walking up the hill to this chapel. I was so puffed the other day. (sighs) All right, how much time and energy does it take us to move? Think about it for a second, all right? What about if we are flying from here to America? Did that last year, it took us a long time. It was like 26 hours. Anyway, how about a plane ride to the moon? Just stroll with me on this. Let's just go imaginative takes 19 days to fly to the moon on an aeroplane. That's if you do not stop for a meal. No fuel, just go, 19 days. What about light? Light travels way faster than a plane, right? So guess how quick it takes for light to get to the moon from here? This stuff is pretty cool. How quick? 1.3 seconds to the moon. So light's a little bit faster than a plane, not stopping for fuel. Okay, so what about the sun? How long would it take you to fly a plane to the sun from Earth? 21 years. Who here is 21? There we go. You were born on the plane as it departed, and now you have arrived. Well done. We got to the moon. Oh, the sun, sorry. (laughs) The moon was when you were 19 days old. All right, so we got to the sun. Now, if we were going to do... Uh, <laughs> did you know that you couldn't reach the, the sun in a car? It would take you 200 years. You couldn't do it in your lifetime. I just think these are funny facts. Okay, anyway. At light speed, you are there in a mere 8 minutes and 20 seconds. Thank you, light. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, and God is like the light. He comes quickly. So a mere 8 minutes and 20 seconds. The nearest star from us is 4.3 light years away. Some of us are like, our infinite minds cannot comprehend. Our infinite minds cannot comprehend. And I can hear crumbling. I know. All right. Let's make a tiny scale. Let's make a scale. Let's say that... Imagine this is like the size of a peppercorn, like, or a sweet corn, or a tooth, yes? I'll put it here. That's Earth. 
All right, now the sun is roughly eight inches diameter ball, so roughly about that yay big, yeah, if we're doing correlating scale. But the sun would be a quarter of a soccer field away, so somewhere that way by the ablution box, maybe by the pool, would that be right? Yet to scale, that's about near the pool. Ah, good. It takes 21 years flying a plane to get to the pool from the corn, is that all right? The nearest star being 4.3 light years from that. Isn't that amazing? Now the stars you see at night with your naked eye, the vast majority, are roughly 100 to 1,000 light years away. Some are 4,000 light years away. That's billions and billions of years flying a plane, and these are only the stars in our galaxy, the Milky Way. There are more galaxies beyond our galaxy. It's so vast that science hasn't been able to count them all or find them all, and who knows if we'll ever discover the end of the universe, but eventually we have to confess that our minds just can't grasp what's being created, right? All right, everybody, hold your hand out like this, right in front of you. Look at your pinky, look at your thumb. The Bible says that God can measure everything that I've just said within the palm of his hand. That is God. What we can't even measure with science and where we cannot go because we can't live that long, God holds in the palm of our hands. It's like that. Do you know what? He knows every single star by name. Okay, stop for a second when you go, <laughs> Siri and Google are amazing. God knows every star by name. He doesn't have an, a problem, like I do, with his Wi-Fi. Everything knows, rapidly, instantly. It's not wait for forever to re reload with a suggestion from someone else on the earth that they put in. This is God, right? He knows every star. He calls them each by name. Psalm 147, mighty in power, his understanding is infinite. Get what? So there's all that in the palm of his hand, and he knows you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows the hairs upon your head. That God. That God that we're a little bit scared of running our lives, so we do it because we know how to look after ourselves better. That God. That God that we think because we don't feel that we don't need. That God. Do you know that he knows the grains of sand on the seashore? He knows your every thought. That should baffle you just as much as trying to think of distance from here to galaxies. How can he know everything and then know everything? Because he's God. That's what God with a big G means. Do you understand? All right, wait, wait, wait. Let's just like brush over the topic of particles, cells, molecules, elements, atoms. 
Do you know that the full stop at the end of a sentence holds more than a billion atoms? Inside one atom, you'll find clusters of protons, neutrons, and electrons. Scientists don't really know how everything actually stays in form. Do you know that? They don't know. They don't know how everything stays together. I mean, this bang happened and then everything spun and then it stays. They don't know how it stays. One turn of the Lord's hand and this earth would combust. It is completely in right alignment to function. They don't know how it stays together, so they've called it atomic energy because all those little full stops somehow stay together. Energy, atomic energy. Yet God has already said... Hebrews 1 verse 3, he holds the universe together. Wait, this is going to blow your brain. He expands it. Great. He's continually creating. By the mighty power of his spoken word. What's his spoken word? Capital W. Jesus. Do you know that he was at creation? Father saw chaos. Holy Spirit brooded over it. And then by his spoken word, we were made. It is through Jesus that we're even created. Before time, after time. He was always there. All right? Baffle your brain some more. Colossians 1.17 says, In him all things hold together. The Passion Translation says, He existed before anything was made, and now everything finds completion in him. Jesus. In him. He existed before we were made, and now we all find our completion in him. This is like way bigger than our brains, way bigger than a really clever scientist's brains, way cleverer than a team of scientists' brains. Now they all have internet so they can go from every country, way cleverer than all the countries of scientists' brains. He's just way cleverer. He's cleverer than Google. No, 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 he's cleverer than Google. Don't you look at me. I know how many of you go to the doctor and then you walk away and then you check it with Google. We think Google at least will know everything, right? He knows everything. This is the God who made us and who calls us to him and says, I want to dwell with you. That's this God. This God says, I want to be with you. Not, hey, get in line. This God is the God that says, I'll give my son to be with you. This God. Think about that for a second. This God that created everything beyond our imagination, he's way cleverer than computers, huge God, says, um, yes, let's partner together, let's make something. They make something. Jesus sees what's being created that he's made and said, I will become that so that we can be together. This God. He's not your average homie. He's not, he's not like you. He's not like me. He's not like us. He became man, but he was God. He's not like us. But he wants us. Really wants us. Really wants us. So in this design of everything, being master creator, while he's created everything, knows about you, knit you together so he knows exactly how you're wired in that womb, even down to what would trigger and hurt in the womb for you, he knows you, 
and he says, let me be Lord of your life, it'll go well with you. Because he is good, right? So his desire is good for you. Let me be Lord of your life, it'll be good for you. Of course he's capable of that. That God that we choose not to see, not to listen to, not to obey, because we struggle with obedience and being bound by someone, because I'm better and I'll know what to do better. Do you see the, do you see how weird that is? Do you see how off that is? Do you see how full of pride that is? Do you see how short-sighted that is? One of the biggest recommendations I can say is that we need to take time to actually be still and consider the work of his hands to remember the Lordship of Christ. We're told to do this. Of course it brings some perspective because creation sings praise and it declares his glory. He's designed us to see him in everything he's made. I'm not bagging TV, there's awesome things in technology, but walking outside really does sort of remind you about Jesus. Getting outside, getting to see him. We cannot expect to be admitted into his presence with an attitude of disrespect. We're going to go there. This is John Bevere. He deserves more glory than every, any living creature or any created being can give him throughout eternity. That's the reality. So I don't want to just say, it's actually something that's come up in the Monday prayer room. I don't just want to say like, oh, he's actually worthy. He's God. Let's offer our lives and like, whew, and then give it. In the Monday prayer room, they got to the stage where they're like, oh, here's my alabaster box. And they were throwing it on the floor like, yes, because he's so worth all of it. It isn't a reserved offering it's a like this is so the way it's supposed to be offering he's so worthy of worship beyond what we could give him our offering isn't even it doesn't surmount to how great he is not how worthy come on get your offering up as in how great he is we could never match it all our lives thrown at his feet could never match how awesome he is he's really truly awesome is that okay so now I'm going to go biblically through some stuff that can be confusing, and I just want to hopefully bring clarity. I'm, I've, talked to, I'm, I've labeled this order, glory, and judgment. Did you hear that word? What was the word you heard? Oh, you're so honest. You're lovely. Did anyone hear judgment, or did they mute it out? What do we learn in EH, right? Judgment's not okay. Yes? Not okay. Who is allowed to judge? God. Is he? Is he? No, no, no. Is he? Is he? Is he allowed to be your judge? When he came on earth, Jesus said, I'm not come to condemn, I've come to save. But the resurrected Lord is the one who's coming. And what do they say he's coming as? the righteous judge. We are like, we feel like this glory is coming. We feel the manifest presence is increasing. It's tipping over. What comes when the glory covers the sea? The righteous judge. Where he manifests more, that's who he is. He's coming with that 100% as well. It's in the package. Are we okay with that? And we're like, but Jesus, Jesus saved me from judgment. All right, 
go to the garden. Let's do Old Testament, then New Testament. Are we all right with this? Track with me. I'm going to list it off, order, glory, judgment, just so you can see how things flow, and then we'll figure out why, all right? In the beginning, there was chaos, yes? It's pretty much the first few lines. The Spirit was brooding over the chaos, and Genesis says God brooded over the chaos and then made order out of chaos in six days, all right? He created the earth, the garden, and then man out of dust, out of those little particles, those little atoms, he made them, out of the earth, and then woman out of his side. He created order, okay? So there was chaos, now there's order. Scripture said he crowned Adam and Eve in splendor and glory. Do you know what that word crowned also means? Surrounded. They were naked, but they didn't need clothes because they were clothed in glory. This was our design, by the way, that we would walk around understanding that we are clothed in glory. All right? Satan tempted Eve and mocked God's word. Adam and Eve chose, because we're given the power, our responsibility, chose to disobey and suddenly realized they were naked. What did they lose? The glory. All right? So what did they experience? They experienced a spiritual death. That's the judgment of disobedience. Old Testament. Just telling you. They experienced a spiritual death. Can you imagine walking in a garden with so much order and so much glory? And in that decision, just one, but in that decision of saying, actually, I can be equal with God, of taking lordship to be just an easy topic to play with, they lose connection. They lose that intimate connection with Father, just like that. Everything else that you love 100% of God about, lost it. Judgment. All right, skip a few generations. We have Moses and we have a tabernacle. Israelites are freed from Egypt. I spoke about this. There's chaos. They're walking through the desert. God reveals to Moses a tabernacle he once built. He's brought them out of chaos and now he wants to establish order. Why? Why does he like to establish order? The garden the tabernacle, we're going to go into a temple later too. What is God wanting? He wants to dwell with man. doesn't want slaves. doesn't want you to do your job and get perfect. All of this instruction is because God, who is God, is wanting to have a way where he can dwell with man. It requires order. Why? Because if you throw a massive, huge fireball into a bunch of sticks, they're going to burn. It needs the right order for who he is. Because he's God. I can walk into a room of chaos and I can manage what I manage. But because of who he is, and he can't not be who he is, if you want him to dwell with us in the fullness, that just requires order. Okay? God wants to, be surround, to surround us with himself. He wants to come in glory. He wants to dwell with man. So the instructions for his tabernacle are so particular. It's measurements, it's materials, who was allowed to build it, the day it must start and the day it must finish. He was incredibly particular. Is that okay? Is God allowed to be particular? Is he? Is he? Is he? Is he? Is God allowed to be particular? Is he? Anything that he does in particular is for your safety and your good. Okay? 
Moses was obedient, notice the word, to every detail and divine order was achieved. On that day of completion, a cloud rested on top of it. God's not the cloud, obviously. He hides himself in a cloud because even though he wants to dwell with us, if he came in his fullness, it would be the end of time because that's God. So he comes partially, but it's still huge. But at least we get to see this manifest greatness that is beyond us, okay? So he hides himself in this cloud Remember that Moses, even talking to him in the, in, on the mountain, he says, show me your glory. And he says, it would, you would die. Hide in a cliff, I'll show you my back. He literally shows parts of himself to us. When we die, we will see in full. Yes? Okay. But the glory was so thick inside the tabernacle on that day that Moses could not enter. Wow. I want that. I want God to feel like there's such order achieved that he can just dwell like that. 2 Chronicles, Exodus 40, 34 to 35. That's where I'm reading that from. Now God's glory abided among, was abiding among Israel and it brought tremendous blessing. There were no enemies. No one could stand against them. There was provision. There was guidance. There was healing. They lacked nothing. It's almost like the garden. See what the fruit of the glory is? See what the fruit of lordship is? Except among several priests that God asked to minister to him in his tabernacle, because priests had to follow specific instructions. There were two priests, Nadab and Abihu. Abihu? Abihu. Abihu. No, Abihu. Let's see what they did. Leviticus 10, verse 1. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Now Aaron's son, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and placed incense on them, and offered unauthorized, in other words, there is profane, fire before the Lord, which was contrary to his command. Another word for unauthorized is profane, and the Webster's Dictionary defines it as showing disrespect or contempt for sacred things. It's called being irreverent. That's in the dictionary, okay? So they treated what was God's holy command as common. They became too familiar with his presence, because he's there now. Because he's there now. They're not trying to woo him. He's there now. They became too familiar with his presence and they decided it was pleasing to bring what they felt was acceptable as an offering. Whoa. Rather than obeying what God has called acceptable. How's our offering each day? Do we go according to what we feel is an acceptable offering to the Lord? Or do we do what God calls acceptable? Mamma mia. So what happened when they did that? Leviticus 10, 2. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and devoured them, and they died there before the Lord. Good. So what was the outcome or the judgment? Death. You can say it. It's Old Testament. We're so safe. So it was death, right? It was death. So Adam and Eve was spiritual death. They lost the glory. In this case, they gave an offering. The Lord said, this is how you come before me. It's the only right way to come before me. They decided to get a bit familiar with it and just give what they had, which was a second grade thing. And they died on the spot. Cool. God won't be mocked. Bugger. God won't be abused or overridden by our complacency or our sin or our apathy or self-pity or our anger. The toddler doesn't dictate how mature love goes. Though so much of our journey is driven by wounds and vows and judgments, that doesn't mean that it's acceptable and pleasing when we come to him without detesting our junk and without due respect. 
He is not like man that he would treat us as man has. He is not like our earthly rulers, leaders, bosses, or parents. To think he is like them is to state that he is like corruptible man. He's not one to not answer because he's too busy. He doesn't punish us with neglect. He's not capricious. He's not moody. He's not temperamental or even unpredictable in his stability. He is slow to anger. He is long-suffering. He is good to all. But he won't accept deception as an offering. Solomon's temple, now over 500 years later, Moses and, after Moses and Aaron's tabernacle. So we have another dwelling place. Do you get what his heart is? He wants to dwell with man. Do you hear love? He wants to dwell with you. Main thing, he wants to dwell with you. Okay? So we go on and we have a temple. Follows a similar storyline. There's been chaos. There's been silence. People haven't heard for hundreds of years. David retrieves the Ark of the Covenant. God gives clear instruction to build a temple. Solomon obeys every detail, and now there's divine order. All right? The glory of God was revealed. There was rich blessings. Yay! Then the Israelites grew careless. They defiled the temple. Sin and transgression prevailed. God's kindness, God's kindness and compassion, this is before Jesus, came through with warnings from the forefather, and they still did not listen. God sent help through the prophets, but they mocked and scorned the prophets. That's long-suffering. Do you see it? This is a nation that he's called his own. He's pulled them out and said, you are my people, you are my bride. This is a nation. Check the line in 2 Chronicles 36. They scorned the prophets until there was no remedy. Do you know that we've been given the gift of salvation and we can choose to lose it? We can choose to do what we want and say that we know Jesus and that we're going to heaven so it's okay, but we choose to do completely what we want to do all the time and live our own way, almost exactly like someone who doesn't know Jesus. But we tell ourselves that we've been saved. It goes down a huge winding road, I know, but just to let you know... Here, God was okay with saying until there was no remedy. Old Testament, right? I can hear you ticking it. It's okay. So then God allowed the king of the Chaldeans to clean them out. He killed young and old, male and female. He took all the holy artifacts and burned down the temple, including its precious possessions. There was death. But what was their death to? A nation. Generational death. So the long-suffering of the Lord doesn't take away the issue. It gives you time to repent, but you can make worse decisions and then the outcome's even worse. You kind of don't want him to long-suffer for long. Just because he's good doesn't mean we keep on doing what we want to do and think that the outcome will be the same size it was when we did it the first time as when we did it the hundredth time. We don't get away with it because it's good. We deal with it because he's good. Because he's good, we repent. Not because he's good, I'll keep on living how I want. He sent prophets. He sent people to give them wisdom. In the time where they had 
defiled the only place where he was creating order to dwell. They were defiling it. They were doing it their way, how they wanted, completely deceived. And they chose not to listen. The outcome was death for the whole tribe. Generational. Women. Men. Children. The longer you leave it, doing it your way, the bigger the outcome. He's not removed the outcome. He's not removed the outcome. This is where it gets trippy. Hear me out. So there's a garden, there's a tabernacle, there's a temple. In each case, the judgment was death and destruction. Literal death or spiritual death, there was death. All these people were those who had known God. This has nothing to do about people who still need to meet Jesus. This is death to those who had known God. All right? But they chose compromise. All right, let's look at New Testament. Can we breathe? This makes it clear that to follow him, we must first count the cost because the price will be nothing short of our lives. He tells us that at the very start. To Jesus, it will cost your life. Do you understand that? It'll cost your life. He says it at the very start. He's not tricked you. He's not bribed you with... It's really humble of him, considering he's God. I would think that even, you know, saying his name could cost my life. He's God. It might cost your life. It's like... Of course it will cost our lives. Why are we anti that? Oh, so now I'm the temple. Okay. Oh, so now I'm the temple. Okay. Oh, so now I'm the temple. Okay. Jesus came. Oh, so now I'm the temple. Okay. Jesus came so that the... Oh, so now I'm the temple. Okay. Jesus came so that the temple... Oh, so now I'm the temple. Okay. Jesus came so that the temple of the heart... So now I'm the temple. Okay. Jesus came so that the temple of the heart could be... No, I'm the temple. Okay. Jesus came so that the temple of the heart could be made possible. Okay. Jesus came so that the temple of the heart could be made possible. So, good, so God could dwell in all of us. We know this, right? We're now the temple. I'm the temple. I'm the temple. I'm the temple. I'm the temple. How did that happen? Divine order. Divine order first came with John the Baptist. Do you know that? Why? What was he saying? Repent. The kingdom of God is coming. Do you know that he wasn't sent to the lost? John was sent to the people who already thought they knew God. Okay? John the Baptist came Isaiah 40 Israel had become religious. They believed everything was fine. Hello, denial. And these were, these were ones whom God called the lost sheep. Often we talk about the lost sheep as, you know, ones who've never been told Jesus. The, the lost sheep were you and me, not living under lordship. Okay? We were living in religion instead, or rebellion, but we knew God was real. So we need evangelism to the church. Yes? Yes? 
John exposed their pride and deceit and tore aside the cloud of deception. John preached the baptism of repentance. That's Mark 1. Baptism wasn't just immerse or dribble. It was plunge. It was a radical change of heart. John was preparing the ground for the master builder. You starting to understand concepts? We've seen building happening in the Old Testament. Now we have New Testament building. Building. Okay? Once John's work was complete, he was beheaded. Did we talk about counting the cost? But God's good, right? Are you okay with lordship and knowing that he's good, knowing that it could mean that you'll be beheaded? It's happening around the world, you know. I can't promise you that you or your children's life will end the way you dream it should be for what you think is good. All I know is that he's good, and if he's Lord, it'll go well with you, but I can't tell you that you won't get your head chopped off. This is what following the Lord is. It costs your life. It costs your life. It's radical. Not radical, I'm going to go to Ecuador, or radical, I'm going to cross the street and tell this person that I had a word of knowledge for him, though those two are awesome. Radical is how I live my day in obedience. Radical. Laying down my life, how do I do today? In your eyes, in your place, holy as this is your temple. Radical is actually our lifestyle if we choose Jesus. Not comfortable, not safe the way we think is safe, but because he is love and because he is the Father and because he is the comforter, those things remain. They are part of it. It's what we get to experience in him, in his lordship. Okay? So Jesus has completed, um, so we have the master builder. Once John's works come, master builder, came to prepare the temple on the level ground of humility until the building process was complete. There is no one empowered to lay an alternative foundation other than the good foundation that exists, which is Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 11. Now when Jesus had completed all that God had asked him to do, he built the temple by how he lived and what he taught. He was then sent to the cross as the sacrificial lamb, the final crucial step in the preparation of the temple of the heart of man. The sacrifice eliminated the sin nature separating man from God's presence since Adam. Wow. Hebrews 9, 12. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So Jesus came. Hear me out. He came in his blood, in his right order, in his living, came for our hearts to become a temple. Yes? Just baffles me. No matter how you've lived, even today, your heart remains a temple. Do you remember how particular God was on how to build the, the tabernacle, how to build the temple, how exactly into order and the right person? That was Jesus. He was that particular. God in man was that particular that he could make your body with everything it listens to every day and all the other stuff that bubbles up in your mind, all the thoughts, all the lies and deception. He made your body a temple. God still wants you and he wants to live there. Jesus, and by his blood we can come in and dwell with the Lord in his temple. So the blood is always appropriated, but guess what? You're the priest of your temple. 
Jesus isn't the priest of your temple. You're the priest of your temple. You offer the offering of, of all that he's done that's a right offering, but you're the priest of your temple. How you live, if it's not in accordance with how he says is appropriate, does that, what happened to the priests when they brought their offerings when they were kind of careless about it to the temple? He died. Okay. So, walking out your journey of holiness is not just about what you give and how you give out. It's also what you absorb. It's what you come into agreement with. How you love your body. What you nurture. How many of us have been taught, okay, yes, I'm a living temple. I've got to be careful what I watch and I've got to be careful what I say. And yep, yep. Now, if we have an understanding of who God is and his greatness and how powerful he is and that his desire is because he loves that he wants to dwell more and more until manifests and overflows in us, how much of that is restricted? We've chosen death, not he has given death. We've chosen death by not living in lordship. How many of us want to walk down the street like Peter did and um, see people just healed by the shadow, by handkerchiefs, yeah? It's kind of how we have to approach the Lord within our temple. That kind of dictates how much manifestation is happening in our lives. Yeah? Let's go into this. Divine orders established. Shortly after his resurrection in Acts 2, we read that 121 people were gathered in divine accord. They were all dead to themselves. Yay! Help us, Lord. All that mattered was that they stayed and obeyed Jesus. Okay, it's 121 people. 121 people, that's about us, almost. 121 people. Not 500. Not the thousands who had been following him. It's 121. It's 121 who have stuck it out and remained obedient to Jesus' instructions not to leave Jerusalem and to wait for the promise. What's the promise? Yeah, it's not your dream house. It's not my health getting better. It's not all those things. Those are promises. What's the promise of the Lord? We talked about this when we talked on the glory. What's our inheritance? Him. Him. 121 of all those people who followed decided to do it the way he asked, which was just to wait. And it felt like nothing was happening, and they probably thought, oh, I'll just go out and do the mission that I know I'm supposed to do. I met Jesus, and so they probably went anyway, doing what they felt was right. I say that respectfully. But he told them to wait. Thousands followed him. 121 decided to wait. They'd given up their dreams. They'd agreed to obey him even though it made no sense and it didn't satisfy their carnal needs or desires. Nothing about waiting is satisfying. But they considered his ways to be holy. So to those 121, the day of Pentecost came and the glory came upon them. Can you imagine? It's insane. No one prayed for them first. It just happened. They were immersed in the presence of God. Not fully, because if he fully came, we would blown away, but it was strong enough that it attracted attention. Peter stood and preached on that day, and 3,000 were added to the church. That's Acts 2.43. Guess what it says? The fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. The fear of the Lord came upon every soul. That's what led the growth and the multiplication. So there's divine order, 
with Jesus, then there's the Holy Spirit. So then where's the judgment in New Testament? What's an outcome if we're not living, honoring the temple, honoring what the Lord's asked us to bring to him, living in obedience to his lordship? As sons and daughters, but remember we're sons of God with a big G. Okay. Times pass. The church has benefited from the presence of God and his power. Multitudes are saved, healed, delivered. No one lacked. Everyone shared what they had. They lived in unity. Have you read the Acts? It's an amazing section. The whole Acts is awesome. It's almost like possibly what we were meant to be like in the garden. Then a wealthy Levite named Barnabas sells his land and brings the total amount he received for sale, probably a massive sum, and places it at the apostles' disposal. Wow, that's incredible. A man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold something of their own, kept some of it back, and then they brought it to the apostles and said, we've brought all of the total as well. So... Peter must have received a word of knowledge because in Acts 5, 2-4, he simply asks Ananias why he's lied. Don't you love it? Have you lied? Or It's a little bit like Amy. Why have you lied? I'm like, oh, we're there already. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in fact, his final statement after questioning him is, you have not lied to men but to God. That's the fear of God right there. He's not taking it personally one bit. He's just reminded him, hey, this is before the Lord. This was an offering that was for the Lord to spread out, and you've lied to the Lord, all right? Ananias and his wife would have possibly had a reputation as givers, possibly that fed something unhealthy. They may have had a fear of man over the fear of the Lord, so that's where they kind of felt they got their worth. I don't know. Now they were being outshone, possibly, by a new guy. Where insecurity prevails, insecurity justifies your actions. That's how it works. So they possibly wanted the praise and favor of man more than truth and integrity, they feared man more than they feared God. If you feel you need to be seen or accepted or understood by man more than God, the one who sees you completely and is good to all, then there's possibly a problem. There's definitely a problem. If we truly respect God, then we wouldn't lie in his presence. Where is his presence? Andrew said it. He's never left our side. So whether it's lying to others or lying to yourself... If we truly respected the Lord, we wouldn't be lying in his presence. The secret place would be the place where you and him intertwine. It's not the place where you sin. You don't hide and sin. You hide and intertwine. It's not the secret place isn't the place where you lie. It's not the place where you plan something against your brother. It's not the place where you complain, and it's not the place where you justify your actions. The secret place is where you intertwine. Some of you are going secret place, secret place, like the, the portion in the house where I have prayer with the Lord. Secret place is the place where only you and him know what's going on. Yes? That's your secret place. Your temple knows, only you and him know, and a few other people who can give you feedback when you're blind, but he knows. <laughs> That's the place. That's the secret place. What you do in secret, he knows, and if you're okay with it, then there's a lordship issue. Okay? After Peter spoke these words, Ananias fell down and died. This is New Testament. Help me, people. Where do we even place that? I, I struggle with this. Where do we place that? 
Like, what the? The only way I can come around this, because then on the spot, his wife comes in a little later. She, says this, she takes the same route of deception. And so Peter says, by the way, just as your husband was taken out, so will you also. He wasn't cursing her. He just like, this is what's happening apparently. And off she, she dies on the spot. All right? Sacrifices are useless when they're unaccompanied by hearts that love and fear God. It's not about the sacrifice, it's about the fear and the love that is with it. But what I'm starting to think is, is that we've befriended Jesus pre-resurrection. We've come to know him as this kind and healing and man-formed Jesus, which he is. But we've come to kind of put him in that container so much that we don't have a fear of the Lord of when he's coming. The judge, when he's coming. We don't have a fear of the Lord of that Lord. What does they describe him as? The Lord with white hair and eyes that blaze like fire. We don't have a, like we're just constantly talking to this God, this God before he died. Yeah, the friend of Peter and Paul, that God. Do you know that he, um, what, when was it on the hill, he transcends and he's, you know, Peter's watching and he has, yeah, and you just see him even more in his glory in that moment where he transcends on the hill and Peter's like, oh, let's build a little tent here and we'll all just hang out together already. Let me tell you how this is going to work, Jesus. But we, we just don't recognize him that way. We only recognize him as, as like a brother fisherman dude. Yeah? We don't live going, he might come tomorrow. Um, is my life in order? Uh, how do I say this so you hear it, Lord? He might come tomorrow as the judge of all flesh. It's in Galatians. It's in a few places. I'll lead it out. He might come tomorrow as who he is, the ruler, the good God who knows everything, all-powerful. He might come tomorrow, and are we ready? Are we ready for that? Are we ready for that God? Or are we expecting homie Jesus? who will keep doing some long-suffering with us for another few years. I'm not mocking long-suffering. Do you understand what I'm saying? Our healing takes time sometimes. I don't think we even want it to take time. We would love it to be radically quick. Our healing can take time, but I think the fear of the Lord makes us work it out with fear and trembling. We're on it. We're on it. If I see something funky, I'm repenting. Uh, I've, I've noticed that there's bitterness. I'm like, where did that come from? Quick. It's not fear as in he might blow me away. It's like, I'm going to miss out on all the abundance and blessing that comes if I keep choosing this death route. Do you see the difference? He hasn't changed Old Testament and New Testament. He's the same God. He still so desperately longs to live with man. It baffles me. He just longs to be with us. He longs to just walk with us in the cool of the day. That's what he wants. He wants friendship with us and he wants order on this planet. He wants it. He wants us to understand our true potential now that we're seated with him in heavenly places. He just wants that for us. He wants freedom more than we want freedom. We want to just get out of the chaos, but he wants freedom for us. We're like, I'm kind of plateaued on sanity, and I'm okay. <sighs> I'm surviving. And he's like, no, 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 you need freedom. You need freedom. He wants freedom for us, and that only comes through lordship. We do not know how to wade that one just as much as we don't know how to get out of the pit. We don't know how to step into that place of abundance that he has for us. It is beyond our imagination. It requires lordship to step into everything good that he has for us. 
not sit in complacency and appreciate the stuff we do like about him and not ever reach above that level. Like this is manageable at least for me. So this will do. We've settled for far less than freedom. We really have. We've settled for understanding. We've settled for the mind of man, really. We've, we've settled for the plate that we know how to serve if he maybe doesn't show up tomorrow. The reality is, is that we long for him and desire for him. He put that in us just as he longs for us, and so he's coming. And he's coming, and he's coming, and he's coming closer. But if those things are shut down in our lives, just like back then, we won't recognize when he's coming, or we'll resist it. Religion or rebellion will keep us away, and a lot of us are like walking and tracking with him super closely, and we don't realize that there's a lordship issue because we're, we're just delighting in the manifestation of his friendship. And we're just loving that we can finally come to him as a father. Maybe we've done the fear of the Lord purely from religion for so long. Obey, 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 do it right, do it, do it right. That we're just really finding healing in, in friendship and in brotherhood and, and, and mateship because it's all there as well. But you need to know that that's not where it can always, you can't sit on that side of the seesaw. Because at the end of the day, you have to acknowledge that you're dictating how you want to live. Oh, this is so soothing after all of that. I'll stay here. And he's called us to such higher things, such good things. We need to come out of that lie that lordship means he's the master and I'm the slave and it's going to be hard slog. It's really not. It'll cost your life. But he's got great things Great things like that was the best life I ever lived even if it ended with my head coming off. The best life I ever lived. Totally worth it. The only joy you'll know is if he is Lord. True joy only if he is Lord. For those with authority or father wounds, this is why healing of our understanding is so important. He's not like corruptible man and we're missing out on love and we're not loving as he designed. For those of us who are complacent, compromising or justifying, do we think that he actually reveals himself to those who don't take him seriously? It's why the secret place time with God is so valuable because he hides himself for those who actually take him seriously who will cost their time, who will cost their energy, will cost their preference to look for him, to approach him the way he's asked, who will start a worship set in a posture of praise because he's worthy even if their life is in the pit, because he said, come to me with thanksgiving and come to me with praise. There's a private place reserved for the lovers. That word is also translated as those who revere God. This is Psalm 25, 14, where they sit near him and receive the revelation secrets of his promises. Philippians 2, 12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He adds trembling. This is Paul. He never even met Jesus. He met him like we do, you know, like on the street with the Holy Spirit. <sighs> but we're made for a master, and if he isn't ours, someone else is. Remember, God is love, and he's a consuming fire.
We fear God because he's God, with a capital G, but we love God because he's good. Okay? We fear God because he's God, with a capital G. We need to remember who he is. He's not like us. But we can love him because he's good. He's 100% good. He's better than your good ever could be. He's better than any good that you've experienced. He's better than that. He's really good. Then we have Romans 11:22. Consider the goodness and the severity of God. The Passion Translation says, So fix your gaze on the simultaneous kindness, the sweetness, and the strict justice where you can be cut off. That's the other word for justice there. Of God. How severely he treated those who fell into unbelief, yet how tender and kind he is in his relationship with you. So keep on trusting in his kindness, otherwise you will be cut off. It's about trusting in his kindness when we come into lordship. Is this too brutal? Are we still swallowing? Are we okay? Please don't people please me. Are we okay? Are we okay? If it's revealing stuff, then it's revealing stuff. Galatians 4, 6-7, Hebrews 12, 23, um, Hebrews 10, 30, says he's a loving father, but that doesn't mean he isn't the judge of all flesh. All of those topics come through that he's the judge of all flesh, all right? I am aware of the time if you need to get your champions. Um, I just want to go over... Um, yeah, I just wanted to talk about if we find it difficult to follow it from Ananias and Sapphira, right? Uh, can we just look at Isaiah 11 for a second? This is the prophecy, and I think Lynn Tipper even had this in their prayer session, but it says, Isaiah 11, verse 1 um, to 3, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, talking about Jesus. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Verse 3, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. We're talking about Jesus. So if we're not sure what on earth to believe, and the Ananias Sapphira thing just shocks you out of your system, we are told that we can just learn life from Jesus, right? Follow Jesus. What is Jesus doing? It's describing Jesus, and he says, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. This is the Lord. The one who was there when you were created and created the whole earth, he is described as the one who will live on earth delighting in the fear of the Lord. The God who was humble enough to become flesh lives a life in the fear of the Lord. Does that make sense? I'm so aware of the time and of attention. Is everyone okay? Yeah. It's really important that you capture that the one who is God, the only person who's not entitled to fear the Lord, the only person who's not entitled to fear the Lord, he lives delighting, delighting in the fear of the Lord while he's on earth. The only one who's probably exempt from any of this because he is God, lived as man, delighting in the fear of the Lord. He was obedient even to death. This is the God who has seen heaven. He's been there. He knows what it looks like. It's wonderful. And he comes down on earth and he goes, I can glorify God and be obedient to this because I've seen it. We're, we're trusting this God who is happy being man, delighting in the fear of the Lord. He even prayed in the garden three times, Lord, if you want to take this cup from, away from me, but if you will it, not my will, but yours be done. There's such a place where that choice, we always have the power of our will, but have we come to that place with lordship where we said to the Lord, actually, not my will, not my will. In your day-to-day -day life, not, but not, 
not my will. Not I lose my will and I become a walkover. I give you permission to be Lord of my life, not my will, your will today. Do you see the difference? Aren't we called to live as Christ did? If you can look at anything of Christ besides loving and in a great teacher and signs, wonders and miracles, the main thing about Christ I see is obedience. He only did what his father was doing. We talk about, okay, don't, I don't understand Ananias and Fires. That's too judgmental. That's too harsh. That's death. Okay, just do what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? He was obedient. And he still died. Another way to recognize if something is off. I'm just giving you like things that I've noticed in the prayer room. It's been coming up. Whew, it's been coming up. If there's something difficult, if you find you can't find gratitude, if you can't find praise or gratitude for life, something is off. Something is off. Because this very moment while you've been sitting here somehow paying attention for this long, sweating probably, um, and breathing in and out has all been sustained by Jesus. The fact that you've even done these last 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 3 hours, it's all been sustained by Jesus. Right now, you're breathing. That's sustained by Jesus. His little hand stained like that. His tiny little hand like ours, right? He's holding everything in place. The fact that your heart is beating right now, sustained by Jesus. If you find it hard to find your gratitude or your praise, this is why. Something needs to come into alignment in this section. Psalm 50, 16 to 21, goes through the whole thing. Check what verse 21 says. All this you have done. He's talking about how people have lied, deceived, um, been in agreement with sin, whatever. And then it says, all this you have done and I kept silent so that you, would, so that you thought that I was just like you, sanctioning evil. There are seasons in our life where we get away with what we're going through. And we've thought that he's silent because he's okay with it. Delay for Jesus is not the same as denial. When he delays and you're just doing your season, figuring it out, it's not the same as I don't see you, I'll pretend it's not happening. It's not the same as denial. Have you heard that the decree over this year is there's no more delay? Have you considered that maybe that's his response to you? He's coming. That means there's no more delay. Is that okay? The true mercy of God, not the one that we abuse because it's new every day, we get, a, we get to do what we want. The true mercy of God is that he exposes things in your life. That's true mercy, that he shines on your life every day. The morning brings the sunshine. Mercy is new every morning. Hello, light. The true mercy of God is that he exposes things on your life every day. He's just filtering through and helping you know yourself. He already knows you because he wants you to be free. Not because he's cross with you, annoyed with you, losing his temper. Because he wants you to be free. That's the whole point. He wants you to live in freedom. He longs to be with us. This whole heart journey that we're doing, some of us would have even back in the day when we've given leadership because we have an amazing anointing, we realize we have character issues, you know. It's actually this divine order being restored to the heart of your temple, 
divine order is happening when we do the heart journey. So it's ready for the greater portion that's coming. That's why work it out with fear and trembling. Does that make sense? We've got to pursue that cost though, because the cost of we've done repentance and we've found forgiveness and we have the blood of the lamb and it's wonderful, but in a relationship with anybody, never mind Jesus, is the cost of restitution. That's when someone feels respected again, not when you say sorry. It's when you pour in your end of repair. Working out your heart with fear and trembling is your end of your deal. It's like I'm pouring in my respect to you, Jesus. This is my restitution journey for everything you paid so that I can have communion with you every day. Does that make sense? Repentance is such a gift that we can just say, God, I'm sorry, and turn. It's such a gift. We, we've seen it so negatively. It's such a joy. Okay, so the fear of the Lord is all about friendship. It's the whole point. Proverbs 1 to 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Knowledge of what? God. Lord, fear of the Lord will gain knowledge of God. You will come into knowing him completely. That's Proverbs 2 verse 5. Psalm 25, 14, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. The whole way through when it talks about the fear, it talks about friendship, it talks about knowing him, it talks about greater wisdom, and it, it talks about health really and protection I won't go into any more because I'm aware of the time but what I wanted to do I mentioned the blessings last week did you want me to go over them again or they can just go up on a slide um, but what I wanted to do and what I felt to do I feel like it's on my tongue a lot lately is that I just am saying I'm I just repent uh, as soon as I see it I had a moment this this week where um, um, in conflict, healthy conflict, but in conflict, I recognized that it hurt me in a way that it was bigger than it needed to hurt me. And the Lord said to me, that's because the person who was speaking had more access in lordship than me. And I'd put them there. It wasn't their fault. It was me. I'd kind of given them that seat. And so it was really healthy, like for me to trigger, that's too much pain for the moment, like to just acknowledge that. So then I'm working out my heart and going, what is this? And then he goes, because if I'm clarifying these to you, it would come differently. It might even be a higher standard. I might say something sharp, but it would come differently. But because it's a person that's not meant to be there, it's, it's hitting you wrong. Does that make sense? And so it's repentance. Sorry, Lord, you come there. You be on that throne. But the amount of clarity and order that has come into my mind since repenting on that, instead of double guessing, double mindedness, insecurity about my own heart and how it functions, just because I've given him him that spot instead of a person just through repentance so if you find that there's double-mindedness there's confusion if you if you struggle with intimidation if you if you feel insecure about your own journey and you just need other people to constantly tell you that you're doing okay because you can't find that rock underneath you telling you that you're fine telling you that it's okay, that you're going to run fast and it's going to be good. If you can't find your own sure foundation, this is why. There's a lordship issue. Either it's man or it's you, but something else is kind of dictating it. And it can't find that place because that place is designed for God. And so it's giving you other sentences to kind of semi-cope. And it'll sound like double-mindedness until you give it back to Jesus. Because no one can speak the truth in your foundation like Jesus. No one can hold the weight of what he has for you like Jesus. The only sure, sure foundation is Jesus. No one else can be that rock. 
So if there's noise, if there's chaos, if there's condemnation, if things just become too painful and you don't know what to do, if there's shut down, if you don't feel or care or even worry that you've caused other people pain, there's a problem in the foundation. There's a lordship issue, okay? <sighs> Can we end with prayer? Do you still love me? <laughs> I don't want to go home thinking I threw millions of javelins. I really need you to hear that I've read this and I felt a million coming at me. Um, I'm talking from conviction and I'm still in that process. And I don't think we've actually tapped into the power of lordship yet uh, as a nation. But I mean, even as a community, we haven't tapped into this. We've only seen it through religion, if we've seen it at all. We haven't seen it with right relationship and with the heart journey helping helping sift that stuff constantly until it's in order. We haven't seen what this is, but if he says that he's coming and that there's no more delay, by golly, we better get this right because it's the other foot to standing stable for this whole temple to function. I've got the love and I've got the fear of the God, and so this temple can hold what he's going to bring. But if I lose one, we're deceived, we're deceived, we're deceived. Should we pray? I'm going to get on my knees. Please don't feel you have to, but this is a big thing for me. I'm just like, even though I can't grasp it, I want to grasp it. So, Lord, I just feel like, oh, Lord, I hope that your spirit came through, but I don't even think the words of man can really teach on this the way that you really are and how great you really are and how good you really are. We how do we teach on the 100% love that you are? How do we teach on the 100% glory that you are? How do we teach on the 100% good? When we look at your word, do we see you calling and crying out to be with your people? I don't know if we've seen that. We've missed it. We've, we've missed your desire to be with your people for years. We've missed it. We've just seen law and we've seen rules and we've seen anger and we've missed your heart. We've missed your heart, God. And I know as a mere human being, when I'm misunderstood, it hurts my heart. And I feel isolated. And we, your people, the ones you died for, we've just missed your heart, God. We've missed your heart. We've missed your heart, God. We've missed your whole plan, your whole plan for our freedom. You've, we've missed it. We've come to your table and taken away what makes us feel good and we've missed conversation with you. We've missed your dreams for us. We've, we've missed the answer to all our questions that you wanted to tell us in a conversation. We've, we've just stuffed ourselves and walked away and we've missed you, God. We've missed your heart. We've missed your heart. And God, you know you, your compassion is so great. You know where shame has blinded us from seeing you. You know. You know what's trapped us from seeing you. You know. God, you're yelling for us to come running to you. You are yelling. 
You are striking the ground. You're saying, come back to me. Come back to me. You are striking the ground. You are yelling at us because the time is near. You're calling us so loudly. Come back to me. Come back to me. Come back to me. Lord, just lead us into this healing. Lead us into our deliverance. Lead us into running to you, God. We want to run to you. We want to run to you, God. You're the safest one there is. You're the safest being. You are safety. That is who you are. There is no safety outside of you, Jesus. There is no such thing as safety outside of God. God, I just pray even throughout this day, confirm your word. If this is of you, would you confirm it? Can you confirm it in our hearts, Lord, whether we're walking and weeping or shaking, or if you bring scenario of scenario of how you've been calling and beckoning, if you reveal every room where the throne has not been given to you in our hearts, Lord, just speak. Just speak, no matter how exposing it might feel, no matter how uncomfortable it might feel, no matter how it doesn't suit what we have put in place at this time, God, we pray, break us open with revelation that we would turn and honor you as God, that we would see you as our true, good, holy Father, and that we would honor you due to who you are, that you would be worthy in our lives, that you would be holy in our lives, that you would be respected. Then, Lord, that we could walk in the power of who you are. Because you're respected and because you're honored and because this relationship is healthy. Not for our glory, not for our sanity or our safety, Lord, but for your glory and for this relationship and for what you've longed for when you made us. We repent, God. We repent. And we want your lordship. You know, that's something in the scripture that they say that you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Confess with your mouth that he is Lord. We want you as Lord, Jesus. We want you as Lord. So we turn we turn to you, we turn our bodies to you, we turn ourselves to the real good, beautiful light, the light that is beyond our understanding, that is so kind and wonderful. We turn ourselves fully to the light today afresh and we say, Master, your will be done. Your will be done. Your will in everything, in universities for my children, in business decisions, your will be done. In housing, in car choices, in holiday destinations, in finances, your will be done. 
in how I handle relationships in conflict and my own pain. Your will be done. We just pray, God, that by your grace we can live today with a renewed trust in your kindness and a respect to your ability to judge because you have that right. And Lord, you can cut through things in our hearts if need be today and reveal things that we can take responsibility for. It's okay. You have that right. You have that. You have that right. You're allowed to judge our hearts, Lord. You're allowed to sift us. You have that right. It's your glory and your privilege, Jesus. And so we just lean into your kindness today and your comfort, and we trust you to lead as we just obey by your grace today.